Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. As you know, I love bringing on guests from wide-ranging fields. Uh, My guest today is a special one. I was just telling her before we started, her work has had a beautiful impact on my life. I came across her, must have been about eight, nine years ago. And she was pumping out amazing content online about building courses and online marketing and just her stuff was so inspiring. And so if you are an entrepreneur and you want, you feel a vision, you have something stirring in your soul, a business, an idea, you're a coach, you want to create a course, there's something moving inside of you, trust that something moving inside of you. And I have a feeling that today's guest in more ways than one, will inspire you to reconnect with your authentic purpose and maybe provide some insight in how to share that with the world. Um, she is the author of Everything is Figureoutable. That's that's a, a mouthful, but it's an amazing book. And uh, I don't know what to say. What else? I think I'm going to let her say the rest. Marie Folio, <laughs> welcome to Soul Talk. Thank you so much, Coot. Thank you for having me on. It's such a joy to be with you. Really appreciate you. Yeah, your work, your content, the videos you've posted uh, really inspired me as I was telling you. So just thank you for just being, you know, you, you, you're so generous with what you put out there and you provide so much value that it's a real joy to have you on. I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. Oh, I am too. It's um, it's really a pleasure for me to hear it. I've been doing this for about 22 years. Wow. And it always thrills me um, that people actually watch our stuff or they listen or they tune in and it still gives 22 me 22 years. Like yeah. overnight success, right? 20, oh my <laughs> goodness. Years. Oh my goodness. And every day I still realize how much more I have to learn wow. and um, how much is out there that I still don't know. And so wow. it, I, it becomes an ever unfolding adventure of like, oh my goodness, what else? Amazing. I have so many questions for you, but I just want to start, especially for those that may not know of you. I'm just curious. So 22 years, you're an entrepreneur, digital, online, business, everything, life. I'm just, I'd love to know how you, like what, what inspired the entrepreneurial journey? I read that you're like, yeah. you're a multi-passionate entrepreneur, but, but like, was it always that way? What started it? What inspired it? Yeah, well, it started, I mean, the business started out of a lot of pain and a lot of failure of trying to do what I thought I should do based on society and all those things. And I'll break that down, but it really did come out of a lot of um, running into walls and failing and then realizing that there might be another possibility for me. So when I first graduated um, from university, uh, my first job was on Wall Street on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. And I it was really exciting for me because I've always been a person who has a lot of energy. And I remember when I graduated um, with a business degree, I couldn't really see myself sitting behind a desk. That didn't feel like it was supposed to be my life. So this opportunity to be in the Mecca of the financial center in New York city, and you literally don't sit down when you're on the floor, there are no seats on the floor of the exchange. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And Coot, I remember, you know, the first couple of weeks, I was just so hungry to learn. And, you know, at that time, we're talking about 1997, 1998, it was about 99.9% men and I was a woman there. And so I was very outnumbered and it was hard and it was uncomfortable because my colleagues, you know, hitting on me constantly and that culture there, bless it. It's, it's amazing. It was a great adventure. It was super exciting, Mm. but it was the kind of place where, you know, people are making gajillions of dollars and I don't come from a lot of money. So I was just floored by what I was surrounded by. And then it was like, you know, four o'clock, the bell would hit. And everyone would go to like strip clubs and drink and do cocaine. And I was like, this, I don't like this. Like, this (laughs) is not what I want for my life. And I remember after about six months, 
I was so appreciative to have a job and I was so grateful because that comes with like health insurance and the, the steady, reliable paycheck. But I kept hearing this little voice inside going, Marie, this isn't who you are. This isn't what you're supposed to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. But Coot, that voice didn't tell me <laughs> what the alternative was. It just keep, it kept, mm-hmm. it was this still small voice that kept saying again and again, and again, Marie, this isn't you. This isn't what you're supposed to do. And I kept trying to shush it for a while until one day I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I remember saying to my boss, I said, hey, you know, it's like during a slow time. I said, I got to run out. I need to go get a coffee. Is that cool? And he was like, absolutely. And I didn't run out of work to go get a coffee. I actually made a beeline to the nearest church. It was Trinity Church downtown. So I had gone to a Catholic university. And so I was kind of trained. I was raised Catholic since uh, being a kid that like in moments of crisis, you look up and ask for some help or ask for some guidance. And I remember sitting on the church steps, crying my eyes out because I felt like such a loser. I had Mm -hmm. remembered how much my parents had sacrificed. I was the first in my family to go to college and they busted Mm -hmm. their buns to be Mm -hmm. able to make that education available. And I had tried really hard to make this work, but all I wanted to do is quit. And so the first kind of message that I got sign from above was call your dad. And in those days I had a flip phone. I'm sure you might remember yes. those. Of course, yes. Some of us have seen about <laughs> school. Them. Right. Old school. And I called my dad and I was crying the ugly cry, snots coming out of my nose, like couldn't get a word in edgewise. I was like, dad, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't want to bring shame on the family, but I I can't do this. Like, I just want to quit. And I wasn't expecting my dad to pay my bills or anything, but I didn't want to make him feel like his daughter who had just, Mm. you know, again, worked so hard to put her through school was now just going to quit without a plan B. Mm. My dad said something really powerful to me. He said, basically broken. When I took a breath, he said, Ree, he said, calm down. He's like, you've worked since you're nine years old. I have no doubt if you quit this job, you know, you'll figure out a way to keep a roof over your head. All that's going to be fine. He's like, here's the secret of life. You're probably going to be working for the next 40 or 50 years. You have to find something you love. When you find something you love, you're going to discover work doesn't feel like work. And if this job is making you this sick that you're crying in the middle of the day on the church steps, then you have every right to leave and go figure out what it is that you're going to love. So my dad didn't have any clues for me besides like figure it out. Yes. It was a gift because it freed me to understand that I wouldn't bring shame upon my family if I made this decision and they wouldn't be disappointed in me after all they had invested. Wow. And so the only things I knew in my brain were that I really was a very creative, energetic person. And I also had this fascination with like business and money, but I didn't really know why. Mm. And I tried to put it together. And the first thing that came to my mind, I was like, okay, so you did wall street. Like, what else do you love? And there's like, oh, the world of women's magazines. Like there's this creative editorial side. And then there's the business side. And I went to a temp agency and I said, give me, I'll take any job, the lowest position. It doesn't matter. And I got a position in the ad sales department at gourmet magazine, food magazine. I'm Italian American. I love to eat. I was like, this is awesome. I remember my desk coot was like right near um, the test kitchen. So every time they're testing recipes, they're like, you want to taste? I'm like, bring it on. And for the first six months, it was awesome because it was new. It was a new environment. Um, It was a more integrated in terms of there was men, there was women, like, you know, everybody Mm. was in leadership. It was so nice. I was like, okay, this is refreshing. But then about six months in, that voice came back again. Marie, this isn't who you are. This isn't what you're supposed to do. This Mm -hmm. isn't who you're meant to be. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, this is a stable job. It's an understandable job. This is like, you're blessed to have this. But that voice wouldn't leave me alone. And I said, okay, maybe I'm still too much on the business side. It's ad sales. Maybe my creative, more of my creative soul needs to come out. And so I went to the HR department. I said, look, if you have anything in any editorial department, I don't care if it's a lateral move or if to take a pay cut, I'll take it. A couple months went by and I got a job in the fashion department at Mademoiselle Magazine. And I was like, this has got to be it. I'm going to be working like with designers. I'm going on photo shoots. It's so creative. It's like every young woman's dream, right? Condé Nast, big publication. And uh, I started working there and it was fun at first because it was novel. And then of course, Six months goes by and the same voice comes no, back. No, the voice, the voice. <laughs> this isn't who you are. This isn't what you're supposed to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. And now at this point in the game, I started really panicking. I was like, what is wrong with you? Nothing made sense. I had a super strong work ethic. It's not like I didn't want to work. I absolutely wanted to work. I wanted to make a difference and find my way in the world, but I couldn't 
lie to myself that I felt like I was dying a slow death mm. in these jobs. Mm. And one day I was on the internet, probably when I shouldn't have been. And I stumbled across this article about a new profession at the time called coaching. Now, I meant mm. context. This is 1999. This is before the world of coaching, yes. right? Was a yep. big mainstream thing. And Coot, when I read that article, I'm not kidding you. Something in my heart lit up like a Christmas tree. It was as though the clouds parted and little cherubs came out. And it was like, oh, like this is who you're supposed to be. Yet the voice in my head was like, what are you, who the hell, what is this coaching thing? Mm -hmm. You're 23 years old. Who in the hell in their right mind is going to hire a 23 year old life coach? You haven't <laughs> left life yet. You yeah. keep quitting your jobs. You're in piles and piles of debt. You don't know what the hell you're doing. This is just going to be one more thing you fail at. And even though that voice was there, I couldn't deny that something felt right in my soul. And so on the spot, I signed up for a coach training program, which at the time was all done do, through teleclasses, right? You have to get, yes. this is like pre-YouTube. This is pre-Google. None of that existed. No and then I, I was working at my uh, magazine job during the day. Um, a few more months goes by and I get a call from the HR department. They had a big promotion for me. They wanted to send me to Vogue top mm. fashion magazine in the world. And that was my proverbial fork in the road. Do you stay in this corporate job with a steady paycheck, health benefits, it's prestige, people understand, they know what yes. you do, right? Or do you quit and do this weird life coaching thing that no one has heard of, that you even think sounds cheesy, that you, it, it seems unrealistic, unreasonable, like the yeah. dumbest move you could ever make. Mm. And yet it felt right. And so I quit my job at the magazines. I decided to start my own coaching business. And I went back to doing what I did to help my, put myself through college, which was waiting tables and bartending and doing every odd job you could do. Mm. And so for the next seven years, I had lots of different side hustles doing things like that while I figured out how to build a coaching business during the day. And so that's wow. how I got wow. to become here. And I'll just cut it off there because you might have questions or whatever, but that's, yeah. that's how it started. It started because I kept failing and kept having to listen to a very small, but loud, insistent voice inside that was trying to direct me onto my soul's purpose. I have so many questions, but, but I do want to go with the first one, which is this voice, right? This voice, this voice, this voice, listen to the voice. Some, for those that might feel like, but I, I don't hear the voice or they hear the voice, but they're afraid to listen to the voice. Can you give some guidance on like how to deal with the fear and develop the courage to be like, I'm going to listen to the voice? Yes. So I'll give some context for my own life and then we can talk about that yeah. and go back and forth. So my mom gave me a really great gift when I was young. So I grew up in New Jersey mm -hmm. and I was a very, very feisty, independent being as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I fought tooth and nail as a kid at Garner. I started school early when I was four. I wanted to walk to school on my own. And my mom's like, are you freaking, cr I'm not letting a four-year-old walk to school. Like you're nuts. It's not happening. And I said, but I need, I want it. I don't know. And so by the time I think I was like six or seven, she wow. was like, okay, look, you can do it, but you have to make me a promise. And again, you have to, this is the eighties, right? Mm. She's like, if any car pulls up next to you, it's like, Hey, little girl, I have some candy or anyone tries to pull you over or get you a do you, mm. and you have to listen for this small voice inside because we were trained. I was trained again. My mama's grew up um, in Catholic school as well. She's like, God will speak directly to you wow. and you don't need an intermediary. And that still small voice inside is God and your angels protecting you. And mm. you have to always listen to it. So if they say run, you run. If it says move back or whatever, you listen to that voice. So I was trained from a very early age that I had a voice and who it was. And it was always mm. trying to guide me in the best and highest direction of my highest good. Mm. Mm. And then I think the other thing, I am a unique soul in the way that my body rebels and starts to break down if I don't listen to that voice. I get physically sick. So that day on the New York Stock Exchange, what I didn't really fully flesh out was that I started to have what I now understand to be a panic attack wow. because for months I was like, Psh, not listening to the voice. Like it was starting to like slowly pipe up. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to put on my game face. I'm going to do this. Like, this is what success looks like. And I tried to really 
You know what I mean? Get in there and make yep. it happen. Yep. And eventually my body started saying, uh-uh, you got to listen. So for anyone, first of all, it is my personal belief that every single one of us has access to such incredible internal innate mm. wisdom. And whether you want to call it intuition, gut instinct, your higher power, there can be many, many different names. And those are mostly irrelevant. The point is that we all have that small, still voice that is, I believe, of, could be a version of your higher self or your soul moving you yeah. in the in the direction of your evolution. Mm. And so listening to that voice, I think one of the best ways to start to understand what that voice is and how to really discern it from our fear voices, our judgment voices, you know, mm. all of the other kind of voices that we can have up there is if you look back in your own history, if you've ever been in a situation where there was somewhat of a red flag that <laughs> popped up for you and yet your egoic mind, we all have it. I certainly have it. It was like the deal looked good on paper or that yes. person you thought that they could get you to your next level or that people would think you were cool or there was some type of prestige mm -hmm. associated with making a choice and you overrode what was maybe a feeling inside. Mm -hmm. Most of us can look back. We're like, yep, I've got that experience. Mm -hmm. That was your still small voice trying to save you. Mm. And if you've overrode it enough times and paid the price, you can start to go, oh, that's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. It shows up, I think, for some of us, perhaps as an audible, it might not be a perfect voice. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now where it's clear as a bell, but for me, I like hear and see words that aren't exactly like it's a human, but they're very, very clear. So it's both an auditory experience that isn't um, exactly tracking with my human experience of a voice, but it, mm. I can hear and feel something. And then I also start to see words, almost like an internal ticker tape in my mind. Mm. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You mentioned the word discernment, which I, I really love that word. Um, for those that might, for those that might be listening and they're in a place where they feel like there's so much that they want to express like, I want to create this, Marie, but but I also have this idea and I got this this skill and I'm passionate about this. And I'm, you know, there's this this cooking thing and then there's this creative thing. But I don't know, like, how to know what to focus on yes. in terms of, like, my course, my business, my, my next venture. Yes. I could do a bit of real estate. I could do a bit of this. How... Can you guide people to like zone in and get focused to discern like this would be a good path to go down? Yes. Okay. So I'll tell a quick story yeah. and then we'll, we'll parse through that. So I remember when um, I quit my job and I started uh, just doing my life coach training, I was bartending at night, waiting tables, doing all that kind of good stuff. And I remember all the success books I was reading at that time, because I was very, very determined to, to make myself and my, mm -hmm. my coaching practice a success. Most of the guidance was around, you must pick one thing, yes, focus on it and go very deep and just stay super hyper connected mm -hmm. to that one thing you want to be known for and do nothing else. Mm -hmm. And like that advice made sense intellectually to me. I understood it, but in practice, I was once again, a failure because the truth was Coot, that not only did I love personal development in the world of coaching, but I also had this very strong passion around dance and music and specifically wow. hip hop, but I don't have any dance training. I never <laughs> stepped foot in a dance class in my entire life. I also was very curious and really intrigued by the world that was burgeoning at that time was very new of digital marketing and the online space. Again, in that, in those days, like emails and blogs were super new. Yes. An yes, ebook yes. was like, what is that? Right. But it was fascinating to me. And so I was having trouble because when people asked me what I did for a living, mm -hmm. the idea of saying I was a coach actually felt very limiting. First of all, it also wasn't truthful because the truth was in the, those early days, I didn't make a living being a coach. I made a living as a bartender. Mm -hmm. And so I felt out of integrity. I was like, well, but I'm all of these things. And then yeah. I also wanted to talk about the dance stuff and all. So I feel like I got a gift from God one night because again, I kept failing it when people said, well, what do you do? I was always either embarrassed by my answer. Or I felt like it wasn't one societal improved answer. And I got this gift from, I call the, the career gods. <laughs> this phrase that entered my mind, it was like, you are a multi-passionate entrepreneur. 
Mm. I was like, A, I don't know what the hell that means. B, it sounds and feels real good. And I remember spontaneously being at the bar and someone asked me like, oh, so what else do you do? Are you an actress? And I was like, no, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is that? What, what does that mean? And they're like, what does that mean? They were intrigued. And then I said, oh, well, I have this coaching practice. And at the time I was just starting to teach dance and like all these different things. And it gave me a new context within to see myself. Now, how does this apply for someone listening right now going like, oh my God, Maria, I want to do my cooking show, but I want to do a course um, that's to empower women. And, but then I also have to pay the bills. Boy, do I get it. A, you're probably multi-passionate, could have ADD like I do. (laughs) B, there's this phrase that really saved my butt in the early days. And it still saves my butt to this day. Clarity comes from engagement not thought. Clarity Mm. comes from engagement, not thought. I'm a firm believer that many of us can torture ourselves thinking about possibilities and thinking about ideas for weeks, months, sometimes even years before actually taking a concrete step as an experiment from a place of curiosity, from a place of exploration to see whether or not it feels right. Because some of our passions are meant to be hobbies. They're meant to be things that just fuel us, that feed our souls. And not everything needs to be monetized. Not everything needs to be turned into your brand or your Mm. business. Mm. And so I think that everyone is at a different stage and season of life. When that phrase came to me, I was still at a point in my life where, you know, I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have a partner, didn't have kids, Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of responsibilities. I was still climbing myself out of debt, but I realized in my kind of early to mid twenties, I was like, oh, if I'm going to explore things beyond coaching, dude, now is the time. Like, let me push it in this dance, fitness, hip hop world as far as I could, because I'm not going to be 27 forever, right? Mm -hmm. Let me push it in far this direction. And then that real world feedback started to really inform how I could move forward. And in my own journey, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to do several things at once, Coot, mm. knowing that I was probably going to make less money and have slower, quote unquote, worldly progress because my attention was in a few different areas. But I was okay with that because what mm. I was really hungry for was the experience of expressing my full self. Mm. That's what was more important to me than, you know, knocking down the debt sooner or reaching quote unquote, you know, worldly success in a faster way. I had felt so limited and so crowded in and so confined in my magazine days. And and once I found the world of coaching and personal development, it felt like I was a a flower that was just starting to blossom and I wasn't about to close myself down again. Beautiful. I love that. Um, when did things, when did you notice like, shit, some, something like, this is getting serious. Like some, yeah. some, something is working. Like, when did you notice that? And like, wh- what did you do? Were there some things you did or were there certain shifts that happened where it, it, it started taking off and it yes. became like, this is happening. Yes. So I think one of the big things was when I stopped trying to fit myself into a mold of success that I was reading in books about the focusing on one thing, when I gave myself permission to be the real me, which was multi-passionate. And I stopped looking for external approval, like, oh, like, even though it didn't make sense, she's a bartender. She waits tables. I was even cleaning people's toilets. She also teaches hip hop classes. Mm. I look how I look. That's just me. Mm. Right. And she's super passionate about spirituality and personal development and business. And, and it didn't make sense to me, but when I stopped judging me, everything started to come together in a way. And I was able to express myself more freely. And I think people felt it. They resonated with it. And I started not only making more money, but making more of an impact. And then I began to see, wow, I really have an ability to be in front of people. And I loved teaching my fitness classes. Like Mm. I had gone to the top dance studios here in New York city and um, there were real dancers, right? I always have a, you know, even now I can still feel like I'm not a real dancer. I don't have like, I didn't start doing ballet classes out of the womb. You know what I mean? Like I'm completely (laughs) self-taught. I have shit technique. Like, no, I'm pure passion on the dance floor. Um, But I had an ability to help everyday people, especially Mm. my classes, go from they didn't feel like they could do something to at the end of 60 minutes feeling like, oh my God, I learned all this choreography. I feel amazing. I feel alive. Like they felt so capable. There was confidence in them. And I loved helping people on that journey. And then in my coaching practice, I had discovered I had 
an ability to take really complex ideas and to break them down and to create curriculum mm. and start teaching in a group environment. And I loved it. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And I started to put the pieces together mm. that I had an ability to make an impact far beyond one-on-one -on -one clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, also to reach some of my bigger financial goals. I've never been shy about the fact that, you know, not growing up with money created this desire in me. And I, I made a promise to myself when I was eight years old, I said, I want to, when I grow up, I want to make so much money, not to have shoes or material mm -hmm. things, but because I had equated the loss of money with love. My parents got divorced because they, mm. it was all about money. So I was like, when I grow up, I want to make so much that it never takes love away again. And that mm. I could use it as a, as an energy to support healing. Mm. And mm. so I started seeing all these possibilities to answer your question. So it was about seven or eight years in, and I had been, um, my dance and teaching and fitness career was kind of taken off. And I was starting to do some group coaching and I was just about ready to let go of the bartending and waiting tables because that was my, honestly, it was my cash inflow and my security blanket. Wow. And that's when I realized I had the emotional confidence and I had the real world experience to know I can do this. I know it could be a risk, but the worst thing that happens, I go back to bartending and waiting tables, which I've done, and it's not <laughs> that you're bad. Doing. Yeah. yeah, and it works and it's it's good, honest work. So give yeah. it a go, girl. So what was like the, the first thing you put out into the world? Was it a book? Was it an ebook? Was it, was it the B-School? Was it the course? No. Like oh gosh, no. All that, the big stuff that some, that folks may know of me now for, that all came much, much later. So the wow. very first kind of product that I created yeah. was actually an ebook. And um, I had done that as a project because one of the things, and I'm so, I feel so blessed that that was part, this was part of my co-training. Mm -hmm. Part of my co-training taught me that look, becoming an amazing coach, like this is, this is your craft. You must do it. You must work at it. You must continue to learn great um, question asking skills, empathy, like all of the things to be a great coach and to help people create partner with them and create transformation. But if you don't also learn the business of coaching, if you don't understand how to promote and market and enroll people in your coaching practice, you'll never be able to make the difference with all your great coaching skills and coot something about that connected in my mind. So I made learning how to run a coaching business as important as becoming a great coach. Cause I understood that, that those two pieces of the puzzle, they were like the yin and yang, right? Yeah. Like I needed both. And so I signed up for this course about how to use eBooks as a, as a marketing tool for your coaching practice. And in the course, the whole purpose was to write an ebook. And at that time I was like, okay, so what do you talk to most of your clients about? And at that point in the game, most of my clients were like friends and colleagues, people that I was like <laughs> coaching for free. Cause I was just starting out and they were all women. And we oh. all wanted to talk about relationships, relationships. and, love <laughs> and dating. yes, and finding the one. So I came up with this title. I actually feel like the title was given to me. I, I can't mm. take credit for it. It was called make every man want you or wow. make yours want you more how to be so damn irresistible. You'll barely keep from dating yourself. Damn. <laughs> so I've always been a little bit sassy, but that's a title. That's a, it was that's, a title. That's a good one. Yeah. And again, it is, we're, we're taking it back contextually, right? This is like the early 2000s. So yes, it, it yes, made yes. sense then. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was actually, uh, it was my first best attempt. And I remember putting my ebook up and one night I came home from the bar coop and, you know, in those days, I think it was like, maybe I'd make like a hundred, 120 bucks, you know, work at whatever six hour shift. And I had come home and I just mm. put my ebook up. And I had made $29.95 on my ebook from a woman in Spain who I'd never met before. And I was like, wait a minute. I made 30 bucks and I wasn't even home. I wasn't around. And I just, you know, you know what I mean? I like smell like a Sambuca and I've just been in the bar for like how many hours? I wait. I was like, this is amazing. Like the wow. chance to change someone's life with my ideas mm -hmm. that I never met, like it, it kind of blew my mind. So mm -hmm. no, B-School and all the things I've kind of done, uh, you know, more recently came, you know, seven, eight, nine years later, but that was the very first quote unquote product. It was, a, yeah. it was an ebook. You know, I think, I think sometimes what stops people from putting themselves out there, ebook, album, videos, you know, this fear of like, what will people think and yeah. validation and being criticized. Yes. And I'm curious how you've dealt with that for yourself. You know, oh, gosh. You, 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 you know, you make these videos, you put yourself out there. I mean, yes. you can put out the best damn video. Someone's going to have some shit to say. Absolutely. So Absolutely. How, how do you and deal with have. that? Especially when you put your heart out there. It, it's different yes. if you're just selling a, a, 
a widget. Widget, yes. It's not emotional, but when you really put your heart and soul into something, how do you deal with that? How do you deal yeah. with the criticism? First of all, I think um, it's it's just it's one of those growth opportunities for anyone who's creative or a bit of an artist. Um, and you know, I've been sharing my work online for like I said, twenty two years, and my goodness, I have gotten so you know the the amount of criticism for all different kinds of things that all the, it's it's definitely challenging in the beginning, and you start to develop an understanding that it's like there's eight point five six billion people on the planet. There are so many different tastes and flavors and subjective opinions and folks that are having a bad day or they're in such a hard place in their life and they just need to, you know, back at someone. It's, it is the nature of creation. It's the nature of life. And I promise anyone who is listening right now, if you might be afraid of that, first of all, it will not, doesn't have to stop you. I promise it won't kill you. And mm -hmm. over time, you start to understand that all it is, is people expressing themselves. And the more mm -hmm. pure you can be about your creations and the more you can just let it roll off your shoulders, first of all, it starts to weed out who you're meant for, meaning like who you're a great energy alignment for. And those other folks, you're just not. And I think anyone that's listening to this right now, you know, we're recording this in 2023. The internet can be a weird place. Yeah, yeah It's really sure. beautiful in so many senses because it can connect us. It can open us up to new ideas and possibilities and new people and conversations and, mm -hmm. and, and paradigms that we would have never considered experiences and viewpoints that we would never have had otherwise. And then there's the really yucky side of it that can be really, really hard. And I think it takes a lot of maturity. I think it takes a lot of um, discipline to stay focused on your work and to stay focused on who you're meant to serve and the process and the gift of creation. Mm -hmm. You mentioned pure in your creations. Like, could you just elaborate on that? Like, what, what do yeah. you specifically mean by that? Well, I think it's really easy in the world that we live in today to want to create things because you think it's going to work or it's going to get a favorable reaction or you right. see other people doing stuff, something and you're like, wow, they're getting a lot of likes or views uh -huh. or attention and I must have to do that too. Mm. So rather than it being a true expression of, of something that you want to share, a piece of art, a music, uh, you know, a song, a poem, a book a video, anything. It's more like you're chasing approval, you're chasing validation, you're chasing a vanity metric, mm. you know, anytime. And I think we've all done that and that's okay. It's, it's not, it, but it usually won't get the type of genuine response. You're not going to feel great about it. And you're, you're kind of subjecting yourself a little bit more to whether or not people like it, like you're putting yeah. yourself out there in a way where you're like, God, don't they like it? Isn't this going to work? It's like, well, what are you really creating for? Mm, and so mm. I think that that pure creation is like, it's really something that you want to say, really something that you want to share from your heart, from your soul, not chasing mm -hmm. some, you know, again, external validation or, um, or vanity metric. Beautiful. This whole thing about like, I'm just, you know, we're, we're living in a time when there's a lot of talk right now in the economy, recession, yeah. and, you know, it's a tough time. The last couple of years have been rough for a lot of people. And, you know, the news doesn't help, but fear-based news, scarcity, lack. And if someone's feeling, they're feeling in the energy or frequency of scarcity. And they might yes. say, okay, Marie, I sounds inspiring, but like I, I don't have much money in the bank right now. Yes. Um, how can someone who their the physical reality doesn't seem to be reflecting this sort of positive energy abundance. Yes. How can someone, how can someone cultivate the, the, the sort of mindset of, 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 of abundance and move out of scarcity when their reality seems to reflect scarcity back to them? hundred percent. First of all, I, I think that um, most of us as human beings have that experience at either at least one, if not multiple times in our life for different uh -huh. reasons. Uh -huh. So it's really universal Two, I think you hit on something that is so wise, you know, we are such incredibly sponge like social creatures. Mm. And I don't think most of us recognize on a day-to-day -day basis, how much 
energy and information we're allowing to come into our minds, our bodies, our souls. For example, you said the news, Mm -hmm. our cell phones and social media. I think for any of us, there is a bit of a detox that has to happen immediately when it comes to that. Like when we're in scarcity, most of us know deep down that that's not the truth, 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 the ultimate absolute truth. Meaning we may not have much at the moment. Like I remember a particular time in my life when I remember sitting actually in a chair right over there. And it was uh, probably about 18 years ago. I'm looking over to uh, my desk and I remember looking at my checkbook and it was in the single digits. And I was terrified because there, you know, was more month than money. Mm. And I was just, my body was filled with so much shame. Mm. I felt terror. I just, you know, all the things that come with that, the anxiety that, but I knew deep down that I was like, I know my reality that I'm experiencing right now is not the ultimate reality. I know it's possible for me to experience more wealth and more abundance. I'm not there yet, but I know it's possible. And I remember um, thinking and knowing to myself that I had to start behaving into the reality that I wanted, mm. even in small ways. And I was about to launch um, a coaching program at that time. And here was the idea that I had when I want to talk about other things too, about kind of detoxing from the outside yes. world. But I remember in that moment of scarcity and looking at my checkbook and knowing that I was about to try and launch a coaching program, the thought that came to me was like, okay, if you know that there's more abundance than you're than you're experiencing right now, then you need to prove it. Like you mm. need to behave your way into a new reality. And the idea was this, make a promise that 10% of whatever you sell in this coaching program coming up that you're actually going to give away. Mm. Now to my logical mind, Coot, that sounded crazy wow. because I was like, I, I don't even, I have to go try and find like four <laughs> or five more shifts like this. Like I got to go hustle to make sure you know I don't go further into debt. And I remember when that thought came in, like make a commitment to give 10% away. There was something in my heart and soul that felt expansive. Like it was Mm. like, that's your path. Mm. And Mm. so I made that promise. I wound up um, doing a really good job in marketing and selling this upcoming coaching program. And it wound up creating about, I think it was maybe like 76 or $7,800 was like 10% of what Mm. I, right. And out of nowhere, this opportunity came. I didn't have a charity in mind. I did not even know where the hell the money was going to go. It was just like a, pr- a soul promise that and I you made. promised it to, you told everybody. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, uh, someone that I was connected to was connected to the UN foundation. They were starting this new initiative called girl up. I happen to have a, a heart and mm-hmm. a desire to support women and, mm-hmm. uh, young girls. And they were doing this new initiative called girl up, which was all about, um, making sure that girls around the world who are getting denied access to education merely because they are a girl could gain access to the education and the support that they need. Mm. And I wound up, I said, Hey, can I, they said that we're going to have this launch event. Um, would you like to come? And I said, I'd actually like to make a donation. And can I come? And I've always had this, I always had this dream coop. I was like, can I bring a big check? Like one of those, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Big checks. And they're like, Oh my God, that would be amazing. And it turned out, I went on stage. I was crying because I was hearing all of these incredible stories about these wow. young women who were so resilient and so brave and so determined to own their worth and stand in the world with the dignity mm-hmm. that they were born with. And I was like, man, I need to support this. I gave them, you know, made this donation on stage. I got off stage and a woman came up to me and she said, what, what are you doing? Who are you? You sound amazing. I was like, told her everything. And she said, I'm doing this trip with uh, Sir Richard Branson next month. And we were looking for people just like you. Would you like to come? Meanwhile, he was one of my kind of businessy idols. Like mm. I really appreciated his yeah. cheekiness and his creativity and what appeared to me from the outside to be like a really big, fun, playful heart mm-hmm. in not only making meaningful business, but wanting to make a positive difference. Mm-hmm. And so it was out of that moment of scarcity with being terrified in my chair of making a promise to do something that felt uncomfortable, but that was rooted in the abundance I knew was there mm-hmm. led to the most miraculous unfoldings. And me also starting to leave behind the scarcity that I was programmed with from, from mm-hmm. being a young kid. And so let's go back to your question because we want to keep it practical. I think stepping away from the cell phones and the news is so incredibly important. 
I think continuing to ground ourselves in what we actually have in this moment. Is it a heart that's beating? Is it lungs that can breathe? Mm. Is it a body that can move? Is it a soul that can feel, that can cry, that can think, that can create? Is there any bit of food in the fridge? If, if we can check some of those boxes just for right now, just for this mm. moment, that is something truly to say, okay, mm. I'm still here. I'm still alive. That means that I have the power to make some changes and to start to clear out, not listening to that negative news, not, not, you know, doom scrolling on your phone and going, what can I be grateful for right now? And what are concrete steps that I need to take? Is it, mm -hmm. do I need more financial literacy? Do I need to really start getting honest and truthful with how I'm spending, how I'm saving, how I'm earning? You know, there are many, many different ways that we can start to peel into that conversation that are very practical and hands-on, and that'll be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think if you get still enough and quiet enough, maybe go for a walk in nature, pray, meditate, mm -hmm. ask for guidance on how to start to practically uh, work your way out of day-to-day -day scarcity and to create more wealth and abundance, you'll hear a message. Mm -hmm. There will be something, either a book to read, stop spending on this, stop ordering out Uber Eats every night, like something, it might say, sound super simple or super whatever, but it'll start to come to you. And, and I've seen so many people in my career at this point go from poverty, go from a space of not having a home to going to a space of creating extraordinary financial stability and solvency and wealth and freedom. So mm -hmm. I, I've seen too mm -hmm. many stories. Mm -hmm. I know it is possible for us, mm -hmm. but it takes, I think, getting still detoxing from all of that incoming and really starting to listen to what's the next best step I can take right now. Mm, beautiful. There's a question that, there's so many questions I have, but there's a question that keeps coming that I want to yes. ask yes. That, that, you know, sometimes in our climate today, you have to be a little careful of how you word things, but it, yeah. I, I, I just feel it's, I, I want to ask this and maybe this is for the women. Um, maybe it's for the men, but as, as, as I've watched you, as I experienced you, I'm curious how, how you have managed, at least in my perception, sure. forgive me if I'm wrong, how yeah, you've yeah. managed to navigate the world of business that can be very masculine mm. and business numbers, you know, you know, metrics, measuring analytics, money, you know, linear, and yet you come across with, with such heart an open mm. heart and in at least it seems for me in tune with your feminine, you know, yes. in tune with the feminine, in tune with that inner connection. And I think a lot of women sometimes lose that, been conditioned out of that, lose that as they go into business. And yet feels like you, you, you're connected to that part of yourself. And so I would love for you to just share about how you, how you managed to do that. Yeah. So what's cool about this is, um, you know, there's so many different ways to experience energy. There's so many yes. different ways to language energy. There's so many different ways to talk about it. And so I'll just talk about it from my own experience. And yeah. just like we've talked about with intuition, um, higher power source, universal guidance, God, whatever kind of language speaks to this internal knowing that most of us can recognize, but we might have different words for, I think in the same way, the things that we're about to talk about, I'll use words that, that I've used traditionally, but there's so many different ways we can talk about it. So it could be masculine and feminine. I've also talked about this as focus and flow. Mm. So I think that all of us have this full spectrum of energies within us. Right. So again, we'll use the traditional kind of conventional terms of masculine and feminine. It's like all of us have the whole, we can go all the way to one side. We can go all the way to the other and it's society and how we're brought up. And what we're comfortable in is we usually hang out in a particular zone. And oftentimes uh, I know I did this, especially in my early days, so much of what, what, what I saw out in the world. And, you know, my dad was a small business owner mm -hmm. and just the way that society has unfolded over time, you know, it was a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, sometimes you could, you, you could mm -hmm. associate that in an older school world with like, this is masculine uh, yeah. and, you know, it's pretty staccato and <laughs> like that. And so I, I lived in that for a bit. And it, um, it's cool because it's a part of me, right? Yes. So I can flex into that energy when I need to. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that I can also get exhausted by that mm -hmm. and I can drive my partner friggin' nuts. So I have Josh, mm -hmm. 
who had been with, you know, we've been together for 20 years. Wow. You know, if I get locked in that focus mode, man, I am a pain in the ass <laughs> when it comes to our, you know what I mean? That will destroy the polarity in our relationship. Yeah. He's like, I'm not your employee. I'm like, mm, you know, like, so <laughs> it can get very uh, prickly if yes. I'm, if I stay in that zone. And I've also realized and recognized as I've gotten older, and this is like one of the most beautiful things about maturity and about all the wisdom and experience that comes not only from making mistakes, but just from being out in the world longer, is that uh, being able to also flex, let's call into my flow side, or also as a dancer, you know, the, the feeling and then the intuition and staying in touch with my heart. You know, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received and that I believe to be true to this day. And I believe this is actually true for all humans, regardless of any kind of box we can put ourselves in or no box at all, right? Doesn't matter. Is that our heart is the strongest part of us. Mm. And so I find that when I'm really connected to my heart, when I'm really in touch with that and that it's open, even if I go into focus mode, let's call it, or masculine mode, mm -hmm. I'm still really rooted mm. in love. Mm -hmm. And there can be that other expression of me too, that may be a bit more playful and unpredictable, right? The more of that flow state still connected to heart. Mm. So I think that it's certainly a place that I've made lots of mistakes over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, as I've gotten older, I've discovered for myself and my own experience that being more in that flow state keeps mm -hmm. my energy, uh, a little more vibrant, mm -hmm. a lot more vibrant. And mm -hmm. as someone who naturally has had to battle, like, let's say a sense of perfectionism or even like a desire to control. Yeah that mm -hmm. releasing and surrendering mm -hmm. is a place that I really need to stay aware of because mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's fun and it's not, it doesn't necessarily come. It hasn't at least in the past come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, it requires a little more faith on my part. Yeah. <laughs> it requires less so now, but I think like a couple of years ago, I was like, let go of what are you crazy? <laughs> what are you talking about? What I'm the woman that wrote everything is bigger. I will figure this out. So, <laughs> you know, I think uh giving ourselves permission to play. My friend Regina talks about it as if you think of all of us like a beautiful keyboard, right? Beautiful mm -hmm. piano. There's 88 keys. And so many times, again, depending on how you identify, you might be stuck in like 40, 44 keys. And because that's who you think you are, you're like either, either the masculine or either the feminine, or it's, you know, one way or the other. And it's like, oh, wait, well, what if we could dance along the whole piano the whole and you have so much more dynamic energy to experience and to play with. Beautiful. I love what you said that, you know, the, uh, the heart is the strongest part of us, but like staying connected to the heart as we do what we do, I think is, is, is really, is really beautiful. I hope people are taking that in. Um, a couple more questions. Yes. Um, I, I feel like I want to ask, like shifting gears radically. Yeah, this is like please. Selling, Let's take a left turn. Selling, you know, um, what's the secret? Like what's, okay. what's, what to, to, to like being online. Yes. And everything, like if you could give the listeners a crash course in selling, but Selling authentically, you know, I think like, yes. like there's the connotation with selling and you see some digital marketing and, the, you know, push the pain, push the this, prey on yes. people's insecurities. It feels like. It feels terrible. Like you need to take a frigging shower. It feels slimy, you know, yes. so, so, so like, how do you, like, what's your secret to enrollment in, 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 in your ability that I've watched over the years to like move people to action yes. from the heart yes. authentically that like really works? hundred percent. First of all, I think this is such, it's an incredible skill that anyone can learn. And I think probably one of the biggest lessons to understand about this is that when you're practicing what I call modern marketing, right? Which is very, very different than I think the association, the negative association, rightfully so, that many of us have with like an old school car salesman, like somebody chomping on a cigar and yeah. they're in the grease. They're like, come on, honey. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, let's make a deal. Or someone to your point, like tons of like flashing highlighter arrows and it's super mm -hmm. aggro and it feels mm -hmm. just gross and manipulative and like terrible. So modern marketing, uh, when we're practicing modern marketing, the best of our humanity comes out, not the worst. Mm -hmm. And it's like a very different paradigm than what most people understand. And so let me ask you this question, Coot, and this is for mm -hmm. you personally, and I want you to be honest. Yes. So 
Do you like sharing, let's say like you watch an amazing TV show and you're like, mm. oh my gosh. Like it was like the best series and you just want to tell all your friends about it. Like, do you enjoy doing that when you find something like either right yeah. or like a movie? A movie, that, yeah, I love that it. That moved you and you were like, oh my goodness, you have, have to. to. Yeah. Or like, Product. so me, when I, I'm Italian, I love pizza, even though I'm gluten-free now because my body don't like the gluten anymore. <laughs> still, I find the best gluten-free pizzas everywhere. Like when you, let's say you have a great meal at, at a fr- favorite restaurant. Do mm-hmm. you not like, want to go out and scream about it from a laptop. Like Everybody. Laptop, tell right? everyone. Yep. Or let's say your friend's sick, like they have allergies or anything. And you happen to, you're like, I had that too. Here's the thing. And you tell them, you know, the supplements or like the special soup or whatever that they should have in order to make them feel better. Have you ever done that? For sure. For all sure. the time, all the time all the time. And like, you can't stop you, right? No, you're like texting, just, you're sending pictures. It. Yes, like, it is. No. You already love modern marketing and selling. You just didn't know it. Mm. Same thing with everybody in your audience. If you have ever gotten so inspired to tell someone something that you absolutely believe in your heart of hearts is going to be of benefit to them, you know, something in you just knows in your DNA, you're like, please, like you will get so much joy from this or, oh my God, this will change your life or this book. Oh, if you, it'll open your mind Mm. to a new paradigm. If you've ever done that authentically, that is the energy of not sales. It's about service genuinely Mm. about service. And so if we dial that back, we walk that back a little bit. When you have a product or a service that you believe so deeply in because you created it, remember we talked about creating from that really pure place where you have given it your absolute, like, you know, that this is the truth as you, as best as you could possibly express it right now, Mm. whether Mm. it is a painting, it's a piece of jewelry, it is a course, it is a meal. Like, you know, it's your soul's best expression at this moment. Mm. When you've done that and and you have something to share and you don't do everything in your power to get in front of the right people, you are stealing from those who need you most. Ooh. And I do mean stealing. 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 Like I think about it this way. So I'm in New York. That, that hurt. That hurt. I, in a good yeah, way. In a good way. I see it as the truth. Again, this is <laughs> the truth as I know it best at this moment in time, because there are so many hundreds, thousands, if not millions slash tens of millions of people out there that you have a solution for, that you have an insight for, that you have a product or a service for, and they're either in pain right now, or they're, they're some, there's something that they're itching for right in their life. And I think the whole reason that there's eight point, whatever billion of us, we are designed to teach and serve each other in different ways. Like there's so many businesses here in New York city that I, it gives me so much joy Mm. to go take the energy of money that I have and spread it, have that flow go, go towards another flow, another their family mm-hmm. circulating throughout the economy, paying with my dollars for yes. um, towards a business that I'm like, wow, I love their values. I love their creativity. I love mm-hmm. the thing that they create that makes my experience of being on this grand adventure of life really mm-hmm. cool right now. Like, thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. for creating it. And so when you don't share those things, when I say you're stealing from those who need you most, like I think about some of my favorite local restaurants. Like if I couldn't order that eggplant par from the place around the corner that makes it gluten-free, I'd be like, like if mama needs an eggplant, she needs an eggplant par. She don't have the time to make it for herself. Do you know what I mean? But if they were thinking to themselves, you know what? There's like 3000 eggplant parms wow. in New York city already. Like who mm. needs another one? Like it's already been done before. And that's how so many people listening right now stop themselves because they mm. think it's already been done before. But here's the thing. You, my friend listening are a one-time mega event in the universe. Boom. As far as we know, you have never been here before, right? We can discuss that. And you're not going to be here again in this particular incarnation, in this particular Mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do everything you can to create Mm -hmm. and share your gifts with others, you're stealing from us. This Mm -hmm. one time mega event that you are here right now. So I think that first of all, I'll, I'll wrap up with this really fast. Learning how to sell like this from your heart. It is an absolute learnable skill set. Everything is figure outable. Um, you can share in such a way where honestly, if people don't say yes to what your offer is, you craft it. You're able to share value for free mm-hmm. in such a way that they'll walk away feeling amazing about themselves and mm-hmm. having learned something or had like a lovely experience with mm-hmm. you, even if they don't wind up becoming your student or your customer or um, you know directly do business with your business. Yeah. 
Yeah. Beautiful. I'm inspired. I'm inspired listening to that. And um, last question. Yes. If you reflect on everything in your life, everything you've been through, relationships, success, up, downs, you know, marketing, or being an author, travels. And if you were to like extract, you shared so much, but if you were to like extract the three most, the most important things you've learned in your life, yes. that you feel these, these are the most important things that if you could pass to the next generation, transmit these that would evolve the consciousness of the next generation the most. I'm curious what your three keys to life would be. One would be the belief that I have in my DNA and that has helped me since I was a little girl and still helps me every day is that everything is figure outable. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you have to have the answers or that anyone else even has to have them right now, but it means that it's possible to create, to transcend or transform any circumstance that you face. Mm -hmm. And it may not turn out the way that your mind thinks it should, but everything is figure outable, keeps you in this position of creativity, of ingenuity, of curiosity, of openness, and of hope, mm. which I think for all of us, when the shiitake hits the fan, uh -huh. that is one of the energies that we need most. So mm. that would be number one. Number two, I think one of the most important lessons that I continue to um, explore and to have fun with is this notion um, that more isn't better better is better. And sometimes mm. less is actually more. And that could mean less followers, less fans. It might mean less achievement, less busyness. It might mean less stuff. Like it's such a rich and multifaceted notion, but I think mm -hmm. many of us, myself included, have been conditioned societally to keep wanting to reach for bigger and grander and more and more. And I don't feel on a soul level that's necessarily mm. sustainable yes, yes, or healthy. And so mm. to, to just pause and to say, what happens if I simplify to amplify? Mm. What might mm. I have more of if I actually say yes to less? Mm. So that would be number two. Beautiful. And I think lesson number three would be that you were born with innate wisdom and intuitive guidance and a higher source of intelligence that will always surpass your rational conditioned mind. And you will find that intelligence. You can tap into that wisdom mm. any time of the day or night through connecting with your heart. Right there, folks, you heard it. Marie's three keys to life and living. Folks, I told you this was gonna be a, a special interview. I've taken lots of notes. I trust you've been inspired. Uh, Marie, what's the best way people can get in contact with you, find out more about your work, B-School, everything you have going on? Yeah. Please share. So Everything is Figure Outable is the book. I think it's in like 34 languages or something. So if you like books or audiobooks, check that one out because it's super fun. I read it. That's great. If you go to marieforleo.com, it's M-A-R-I-E-F-O-R-L-E-O.com. I think we've got like, I don't know, 500 free Marie TV episodes, the Marie Forleo podcast. There's lots of fun, free stuff there. Awesome. And then on the socials, it's always at Marie Forleo. So Instagram and TikTok and, you know, wherever the socials are at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> um, where we try and share what we're up to. And then I think last week it was like, you know, fun personal stuff that doesn't necessarily make its way into a Marie TV episode or, or a podcast or anything like that. Cool. And is B-School coming up for people can, uh, does that? Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually going to be coming up. Um, you're the first one I'm telling this to uh, this summer. We have only done this once before, but we're doing a B-School summer school and it's actually going to be super, super fun. Summer school uh, is in live? Summer school is in live. Wow. And, and it's kind of amazing. Um, and it'll be a whole fast track, but if you go to um, joinbschool.com, that's joinbschool.com, you can hop on our wait list and we'll kind of give you the preview of what's coming up. And if it sounds awesome. like it's something that you're into, awesome. you'll have all the information that you need to jump in. And when is it? Can you say when it is? Oh yeah. I think, um, I believe we're going to be opening enrollment in July of 2023. Amazing folks. You heard it. We're going to put all of Marie's links in the show notes. Uh, check out her work, folks. Check out her work. Check out her website. She's a fount of wisdom, heart, generosity. Marie, I've, I've, 
I've loved this interview more than I thought. Oh, um, thank you. Thank and, you for you know, having sometimes, me on. Sometimes when you see people, you're like, oh, they're cool. But then when you meet them, you're like, oh, I'm a little disappointed. But uh, I'm serious when I say your, 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 your genuine heart and your passion really comes through. And uh, you are pure light in the oh, best way. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for everything you've done for so many people. Um, and just keep shining. It's been great having you on Soul Talk. And at some point, anytime, come back. And folks, uh, send me an email, cooplaxon at cooplaxon.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Share it with everyone in your life that you love. Till next week, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.